Welcome to Society Secrets, presented by the Bookish Society and hosted by me, Jen Naughton. I'm a five-time homeschooler and a lifelong bookworm who champions the power of reading for children of all ages. Here on Society Secrets, we give you the inside dish, spoilers included, about the latest and greatest new books for kids ages 5 to 12. We know that busy parents want to offer enriching literature selections and have thoughtful discussions with their kids, but don't have the time to do all the research and reading yourself. If that's you, listen up. Today, I am talking with Ben Gartner, who is the award-winning author of the Eye of Raw adventure series for middle graders. His books, The Eye of Raw and Soul Invictus, take kids on adventures through time. In The Eye of Raw, John and his sister, Sarah, are exploring a cave in the mountains behind their home and mysteriously time travel back to ancient Egypt. So hello, Ben. How are you? Hello, Jen. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to chat. So I loved The Eye of Ra. I was so excited about reading about kids, you know, in today's times. Going back to ancient Egypt, I thought it was so cool because it was so much like everyday life in ancient Egypt. Thank you so what? much. I mean, you, you flatter me. <laughs> All right. It's, so it's, I like, I like your, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, I like your, your observation there that, uh, you know, life wasn't that different. That's one of the kind of underlying themes that I'm trying to convey is that, I mean, it was very different, but at the same time, we're, we're humans, you know, so all throughout time, in fact, history, you know, it's just a story of humanity. So, um, yeah, I, I like that you introduced it that way. Oh, exactly. And I liked that you included the recipe in the back. I'm totally making mm-hmm. that for my kids. Mm-hmm. I was very excited. My kids, I have two who are 10 and 13. They were 8 and 11 at the time that we had the tilapia barley stew, and they both loved it. It was a little bland for me because we did it authentic to the time, so they didn't have a lot of spices, but um, it was pretty good. Yeah. Did you uh, go and get the water from the appropriate place? <laughs> um, we did not make the trip to the Nile. However, that is on the bucket list. All right. So tell us, uh, what what got you to today? How did you uh, end up being an author? Well, uh, you know, a, a confluence of events. I was, I mean, <laughs> to start way back, I mean, I've always been an avid reader. You know, I, I read a lot as a kid, a lot, a lot, a lot as a kid. And in fact, so much so that I went to college for English and, you know, I dreamed of becoming an author. And um, that was an interesting exercise, <laughs> let's say, put it that way. I think partially the analysis of books kind of killed some of the joy for me, if you will. I don't want to discourage people from becoming English majors because I think the biggest success or the biggest thing you get out of being an English major is being a critical thinker. So when people say, what's your degree? And I almost want to say critical thinking, you know, because English is like, oh, what do you want to be a professor? But no, I'm a critical thinker. And I, you know, I do well in my life, but critically thinking. Um, but at the same time, you know, the old William Wordsworth quote about we murder to dissect comes to mind. Like you, you think about something so much and you kind of murder it you, you, by dissecting it and thinking about it too much. You overanalyze and murder it somewhat. So that coupled with, um, you know, financial financial needs, I went into other areas, other, I went into software 
And um, I just kind of, I kept reading and writing on the side, but it took a back burner for most of my life. And then kind of in midlife, I said, okay, I'm, I want to go write again. And I have no illusion that this is going to replace my day job. I'm just going to do it fun. I reminded myself that I want to do this for fun. I want to do this for me. And I actually finished uh, a novella and I turned it into the um, Asimov science fiction magazine and they rejected it. But I have that uh, framed on my wall as a reminder of, I took that first step and that was about five or six years ago, five years ago, maybe. Um, and it, it was, it's symbolic for me because I, you know, took that first step. I was brave. I was vulnerable. I didn't let perfectionism stop me from putting it out there. You know, I knew it wasn't going to be, you know, a Newberry winner or anything like that, but I just wanted to do it. Um, and so I wrote a couple of other adult thrillers and I was working on those and I was talking to get to your question about how I got to this point. Um, I was working on those and I was talking about them at the dinner table with my family. I have my wife and two kids are 10 and 13. And, uh, you know, it was, they wanted to hear more about it, but it wasn't exactly PG. And so I felt a little limited. And so I finished a draft of one and I set it aside, you know, you set it aside to let it stew. And in that interim period, I decided to brainstorm with my boys about what, what would be a fun story to write with them. And so the eye of raw was born. So it was really a collaboration. In fact, I dedicate the first book I dedicated to my sons because it was really a collaboration with them that we came up with the characters together and the storyline. And, you know, the idea of ancient Egypt was their idea. Um, I think there's my, my oldest at the time was studying it in school. Um, and so it was really, it was a lot of fun to work on together. So it was meant to be just a fun project, you know, bonding opportunity with my children. And it definitely was, but at the, you know, the outcome of that was a book that we thought other people would enjoy. We wanted to like actually create a book and send it out to people, you know, family and things like that. And so, um, we did, and then it's actually, you know, I've been really, <laughs> floored and humbled and flattered by all of the positive critical and popular reception and awards and ratings and all that kind of stuff. And so definitely felt motivated to write book two and uh, thus soul Invictus was born where they go to ancient Rome again, collaboration with my kids. Um, I'll stop talking there. <laughs> Did I answer yeah. your question? Oh yeah. <laughs> over, so, over answered. No, you know, that was really, really interesting. So what did you use for research? Yeah, I, I love research. I think research is um, research is inspiring. It's definitely a primary entry point for me when I'm working out these working through these books. Um, I think, as you know, they're they're primarily historical fiction. There is a fantasy element to them where they time travel, of course. But then when they're back in time, it's you know pretty much trying to be historically accurate to the time. So the details are very important. And in fact, there's a couple over time I've learned, there's actually a couple of minor errors in the eye of Ra, like two very minor things. If you pick up on them, I'll give you a prize. Um, but otherwise everything. And in fact, the soul Invictus, I had um, some a Latin college professor, as well as a, another author who wrote the 17 book thieves of Aust the, the Roman mysteries, Caroline Lawrence. I had her look through it and they both, you know, gave their stamp of approval and um, in terms of accuracy. So accuracy is very important to me. I really appreciate the details. Um, I don't want it to be like, I don't want the books to come across as lectures. They're primarily action adventure. You know, I want the, I want the kids to be interested, but I think that some of those details add color and make, make it interesting. You know, if, in fact, one of my, um, 
one of my kind of favorite stories, I was talking to a, a kid about Imhotep and she said, you know, oh, Imhotep was real? Like he really did that? I was like, yeah, Imhotep's a real person. And, you know, she to see her eyes go wide, it was like, she, she, you know, she thought it was fantasy. And so I wonder, I still to this day wonder what she went and researched afterward, you know, like what she would have gone out and done that. So that spark is, is exciting. In terms of, to your, to your question, what specifically I use, um, Wikipedia is a great source. I mean, I primarily search on the internet. I also, I try to cross-reference things too. So I don't, I know that, you know, the old quote from Abraham Lincoln about the internet, <laughs> you know, I know <laughs> not to trust anything. <laughs> I know not to trust anything inherently off the internet. So I definitely try to get at least a couple of sources um, or, you know, even if I read something on Wikipedia, I'll look at the citation and I'll go to the source to see what context it was stated in. So I try to be real thorough. It's back to my English degree, that critical thinking, you know, I really try to question my sources and be, be critical about things they don't make sense. But what's interesting about history is that often the things that you think there's no way that could be true. They actually were, you know, they actually are true. It's, it's pretty, it can be wild. It can be fun. Yeah. I really liked it because uh, a lot of homeschoolers study you know, history in order, and they will do a whole year of the ancients and then a whole year of medieval and, um, and so forth. And so I think especially mm -hmm. for this age group where if they've been homeschooling, well, we have a lot of new homeschoolers due to COVID, but the, mm -hmm. I would, I would say like, you know, the lifers, the ones that were doing it, you know, before it was cool, they, uh, these middle schoolers are going to be on their second round through history. So mm -hmm. they did, you know, they would have studied ancient Egypt in like first grade where they're just hearing stories. And then in middle grade, when they go through it again, they're really at that age where they can ask questions and they can imagine what it was like then. And that's, you know, where you get a lot of kids saying, but how could they have built the pyramids? You know, wasn't it aliens? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, <laughs> you can really get into it and explain that, you know, people were still people then. And they were figuring yeah. out advanced math and, you know, they were problem solvers as we are today. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to me to think about, um, you know, I mean, I think I said this somewhere else too, like on a blog post or something, but uh, what they ate for dinner, like it would have been interesting to sit around a dinner table with Imhotep just to like, you know, like it, you know, a lot of the history books talk about the steps pyramid of Sakura and, all of his accomplishments, you know, the big picture stuff or, or what was documented in hieroglyphs and stuff like that. But what did he eat for, for breakfast? Like what was, if he, if he, you know, if he just hung out with them for an hour, you know, not every day was some monumental achievement, you know? So what was that like? What was he like as a person? It's interesting too, going back to um, the middle grade, as you said, their evolution of their, their thinking. I think you, you didn't use the exact word, but you hit it on the head is, is empathy. So the middle grade time period of, of our lives is when we really evolve our sense of empathy for other humans. Um, there's neuroscience supporting all this. I, I could, we could have a whole another podcast about the neuroscience of, of middle grade. I really, in fact, I have a minor in psychology because I took so many neuroscience classes in college. I have a, a very, I love the brain. It's very interesting. And especially our evolution or how we've, uh, how the brain grows as we develop as children and empathy is that is something that comes to light really when in that middle grade bracket. So learning about history becomes more real when you can think about those, those characters in the books as actual people, you know, it's exciting to see them 
light up about that? Yeah, I mean, I've used historical fiction as kind of the backbone to my homeschool because I feel like if you if you only use a textbook approach and you're memorizing people's names and dates, it is not as important as uh, why those why what led to those events and why did that happen and who was involved and why. I mean, I would rather kids know the order of things than the exact date of a battle. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very well said. So yeah, I agree. I mean, understanding kind of the, I think also it, things cement in our minds better if there's an emotional attachment. And I don't mean emotions like it has to be exuberant or depressing. You know, it doesn't have to be, yeah, it doesn't have to necessarily be an extreme emotion, but if there's some kind of emotional connection, you're more likely to remember that event. Oh, I you totally know? agree. Like if you look at yeah, if you look at your own life and you look at it, if you, you look at your own life in terms of facts, it's like you don't remember the facts so much. You remember the emotions of the event, you know. So kind of trying to convey that emotion either through action or through um, you know, actual conflict, that kind of thing, I think can help cement those those subtle details in that, you know, about that era more concretely to repeat myself in in the child's mind. Yeah. Or in in adults' mind too, anybody's, yeah. Yeah. So then in um, Soul Invictus, which I just read last night, the kids travel to ancient Rome, which was also very mm-hmm. cool because a lot of homeschoolers dabble in Latin, and they're going to be super excited to to read something set then. So, how many books do you envision this being? Well, I'm working on book three edits right now. And, you know, a little bit of a spoiler, it will tell you, I won't spoil the, I mean, book three reveals more about the overarching series plot. So you learn about who John and Sarah really are and why they're traveling through time and, and how there is, you know, there's some resolution from that perspective. However, it is left open, just kind of like the Magic Treehouse books, you know, we're, we're for graduates. These books are for graduates in the Magic Treehouse. So Magic Treehouse are younger chapter books. These are kind of more complex, sophisticated, hopefully <laughs> educational, um, you know, the next step. And so I'm, I'm going to kind of leave it open that there could be 200 of them like Magic Treehouse. Right? I don't know what the number is up to now with MTH, but, but yeah, there, it'll also hopefully be a satisfying ending to the series, but also leave it open for more if I choose to come back. And the reason for that is because um, as much as I love John and Sarah and I've loved this experience, I want to try something different. And so what I, my next idea that I've been playing around with is I'm calling it a space fiction. So instead of, I mean, it is going to be science fiction, but it's not going to be lasers and aliens and stuff like that. It's going to be kind of like my books now where, you know, there's, they're, they're realistic. I want to call them realistic science fiction or something like, do you remember the movie space camp? Oh Yeah. 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 So something like that, where it's like the kids, they accidentally blast off in the space shuttle, right? I think it's the Columbia or the, I don't remember which space shuttle, but, you know, they accidentally launch one of the space shuttles. Okay. Obviously that's a fantastical notion that that would really happen. But once they're doing that, they do all of the correct, you know, they do the correct burn, the correct angle of exit and, you know, all of the, a lot of the, there's a lot of science and, and realism to that fantastical situation. And so that's kind of, I'm going to explore that next with my next book. My youngest right now is he was studying space in school. So it's been a ton of fun. We watched space camp and it's been a ton of fun to talk to him. He's, you know, before we started this recording, he, you know, I mentioned that he's, um, 
he's recently talking to me about, he's exploring how space can be infinite. How does that work? What's on the other side or where does it go? You know? And so it's really fun to re-experience that wonder and amazement with him. So we're going to keep feeding. He's really into Mars and Perseverance, the Mars rover, will have landed by the time this recording goes live, but it's in transit to Mars right now. I think it's, it's supposed to land next, like in a week, a little less than a week from when we're doing this recording. So um, that's very exciting. Yeah, it's an exciting yeah. time. Um, one of the questions or one of the debates, I should say, that my middle graders have all the time, and I, I'm planning on asking a few authors this question because I think it's an opinion, but it's part of grappling with ideas. And one thing that always comes up whenever we read a new book is the question of what is the difference between taking an idea you have? So like, okay, let me put it this way. Your books are similar to the Magic Treehouse books in that kids are time traveling. One of the, and I'm going to use this, the middle grade, uh, the middle grade term is, okay, X book is ripping off this other series. <laughs> when in fact, I try to explain all the time that things are inspired, that there's really in fiction, there's nothing, there's nothing new, but that's not what I mean. I mean that everyone has got their own spin on things and so just right. because there is a book that is similar to other books, popular or not, or another movie, that that's how ideas work. Do you know what I mean? Right. I've been trying to just explain totally. that that's part of the creative process, that like everyone is going to read something or see something, and then they're going to make up their own take on it. And that that's not necessarily a bad thing because there's room for everyone's stories. For sure. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think it's, it's just a different perspective on a, on a, the same story. I mean, I think you could, you could boil most every single story and even going outside of literature, you know, we build upon those who came before us. You know, we have our technology, for example, it's not like someone who invented the iPhone just like came up with this original idea, but it was a novel device, you know, when it came out. Mm -hmm. um, we build upon those who came before us and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, it's, it's not blatant plagiarism to take someone's idea and put your own spin on it and your own perspective on it. And I'm sure the the hero's journey is something that's been, you know, that's a story that's been passed down since ancient times. So at its core, it's not original per se, but it's a new twist. Yeah. You know, bringing something new to it, a new perspective or a new time or a new you know, new struggles, those that can add, make it, make it new again, make it fresh again for a new audience. Well, and I think that's why a lot of kids don't think that they're good at creative writing because they're under the impression that it has know. to be completely new. Like, and if you're putting all yeah. that pressure on yourself to think of something that is not similar to anything you've ever read or saw, that's, you know, you're going to think you're not any good at this. That, that uh, pains me to hear. And it also is part of the reason that I, like to write is I'm, I'm writing for my, for my own children. Yes. And for the general middle, but I'm also writing for myself, you know, looking back at myself when I was in third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, I felt that expectation pressure as well. And like I started, you know, I talked about, you know, that we murder to dissect that, that perfectionism, that, that pressure to make it something novel and, 
award-winning and you know all that it, it killed it and it it gets you in this cycle of um you know i'm not good enough and all that but one of the freeing quotes that i like to cite is from voltaire about don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good or another way you know steinbeck also said um now that i don't have to be perfect i can be good <laughs> and we're you know we're getting a little into like psychology here but i think there's a lot to that is that if you're having fun writing and you're if you if you enjoy creative writing and you are excited enthusiastic about your own ideas then that's all that's all that matters you know then keep going there's no outside judge that is that's telling you that that's saying that you shouldn't do that you know what i mean um yeah that's yeah. something when i when i talk to kids that's to try to inspire that if they if they enjoy it do it and if it's fun for you then that's all that should matter i mean yes as you get older you'll have to start to think about finances and all that but for now just enjoy it oh yeah middle grade is just i mean not a you know not a universal statement but it's a fun time creatively i think you know um your academics Definitely. are not as pressing um you already know how to read and you know, it's just a really mm -hmm. creative, interesting time as a human. Yeah, yeah. And you're becoming more independent. You're becoming more autonomous as a, as a human. You know, you can do things for yourself. You can go out and explore your neighborhood. You know, you're not as reliant. And so there's that freedom that starts to, you know, it's knocking at the door. And But you're also still, you are still reliant on your, your guardians and you're having a house and that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, I touched on the neuroscience before. <laughs> It, the middle grade bracket is an interesting time of brain development because it's a time when you're the most active in terms of your synaptic connections and neuronal growth, how all of that is happening. It's the most active of your entire life during that middle grade bracket. And there's basically, there's very little pruning of those connections going on. So you're just, you're open to all ideas and you're, that's where the empathy comes in you too. you you're more open than you probably ever will be in your life. Again, you're more open to new ideas and new experiences and that kind of thing. And then as you slide into those teenagers, that's when the pruning starts to happen. So based on what you focus on in your life or based on what is thrust upon you, you know, your neural, your neural pathways start to um, congeal and, you know, kind of focus and coagulate for lack of a better word. And you start to drop all of the, you know, the things that you don't use as much and you start to kind of become more of an expert on a certain area. So if you spend a lot of time skateboarding, you're, you're going to become better at skateboarding. Whereas when you're younger, all doors are open, you know, and I love that about this age group. It's, uh, the possibilities are literally the endless, you know? Oh yeah. Cause it's, it's, you're more of a generalist and you're just trying out everything to see like, what do you like? What do you have a natural talent for? And everything is just pretty new and interesting. It's, you know, especially for reading, you know, you can get yourself to the library and there's everything. So yes, the library is a magical place. I know. Bookstores too. Yeah. Bookstores too. Shout out to fact, all the one of the sellers. Yeah, definitely. One of the highlights for me of this whole experience was seeing my own book on the library bookshelf. It was definitely cool seeing it on the bookstore shelf too, but seeing it on the library shelf was an extra special thing for me, you know? As a kid, I spent a lot of time going to libraries, so that that felt very cool. Yeah, I bet. I bet that was like I would have been uh, taking a, what do they call a shelfie? <laughs> Did you yes, stand there holding picture. it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, I I mean I'd say it's up there as a highlight of my life. If that doesn't sound too highfalutin. No, I 
I totally, um, I can totally see that. And I, I think it should be, I mean, that's, that's awesome. So because we call this, um, you know, the bookish society secrets, I need you to give us a spoiler, your choice. <laughs> about the like a, about either book, book or about the series, just something that like, what was, what would have been your favorite part? Or I could tell you my favorite part and then. So basically, well, let's see. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Um, okay. I loved when the kids came back to in the eye of Ra. Yes. And yeah, in the eye of Ra. Then they came they came back through the cave and they brought the Egyptian kids with them. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so it is. It's a little spoiler, right? But not like uh-huh. it's just one little yeah. part of the book. But the the yeah, parents' yeah. reaction. And how they just like went with it. They're like, oh, well, look at all you guys all dressed up. Aren't you cute? <laughs> yeah, they, that was tricky to deal with, actually. I was like, well, how are we going to get the parents? So they were like neighbor kids that they'd never met. And they were doing a theater performance, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I loved it because, you know what? That would exactly be me. I would, I'm, I don't know. Okay. I don't know why, but when it comes to kids, I'm all like, oh, okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Wow, you guys are like really committing to the part. Way to go. <laughs> it's, it's interesting you say that too, because I, it's some of like the beta readers that I had or adults sometimes will, or like every once I'll get a review or something that says um, the mechanism of time travel wasn't adequately explained. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it's a fantasy kids book. Like no kids, zero children have ever asked me. So what's the mechanism of how does the time travel thing work? You know, like. <laughs> Can um, you get into the science for like, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think you I'm have to, to think about your disbelief, right? I'm, I just like buy totally into it. And, you know, yeah. so like if you're, if you're all in. And then it's just as a parent reading that, it was just so funny. And the whole like, well, we can't call their parents because they're on a date night. They were, yeah, they were trying so to work around it. Nice. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some spoiler in Soul Invictus. Um, one thing, you know, you, you're accurate in describing it as, you know, they do travel to the ancient Rome, as it were, the empire. Um, it, they specifically go to the frontier of the ancient Roman empire, which they're actually in central Europe. So it's not like they're in Italy, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and they're in, they're in the area of modern day Switzerland. And, uh, so one thing that I like about, I, I don't know if there's really a spoiler, but it's, you know, one thing that I liked exploring about that era and that, and that geography, that location is that it was really this clash of all of these different, so the Germanic in the North and there's the Visigoths and there's the um, you know, Gaul, the area, this whole area of Gaul. And there's just, and then also, you know, the, the Caesar at the time declared basically war on Christians too. So there's just like all these different fronts and it just seemed like such a, such a messy area and such a messy time. And to go kind of the impetus for Soul Invictus to go to research. And again, I don't know if there's really a spoiler, but an, an insight maybe Crocus um, is a character in Soul Invictus <clears throat> and by all accounts, he was an actual person. Now, exactly when he lived is a little is a little fuzzy. But if you look at, you know, I looked at a few different sources and read up about him. And he was a Germanic, specifically Alemanni tribe, the Alemanni barbarian, better known as the, the Germanics. Barbarian, which barbarian just means has a beard. You know, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, anyway, I digress. 
uh, crocus. So there's, there's, there's historical accounts of crocus leading bands of Germanic and pillaging Roman settlements. You know, he was trouble for the Romans. And then there's this gap in the historical record. And it, we're not even sure quite when he was born or, you know, there's a gap in the historical record. And then all of a sudden he's seen at Constantius's side as he's on his deathbed. And uh, Crocus is advising Constantius to name his son Constantine, to name Constantius's son Constantine to the throne, to the Roman throne, which you may have heard of Constantine, Constantine yeah. the Great. He had a, uh, yeah, he had a pretty big impact on history, you know. So you probably haven't heard of Constantius before this, but you probably have heard of Constantine, maybe, you know. And what's interesting to me is that this Crocus guy, who was an enemy of Rome, all of a sudden in his later life is advising Constantius on who should be the next Caesar. And so this Crocus guy had a pretty big impact on history, you know, but it was just this one little, this one little footnote, you know, in, in the history books, but yet he had such an potentially, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe I'm over inflating his influence, but at the same time, he had some influence on the course of history and where we even are today, you know? So that, and, and if he was such an enemy of Rome, and then all of a sudden he turned and he was advising the Caesar, how did that happen? You know, what, what happened there? There is no record of it. So that's, that was kind of the spark as I was talking with my boys and they wanted swords, you know? And, oh, and yeah. so we were talking about, so I was doing research and trying to find a, a kernel in here that I could expand upon. So I was like, who is this crocus guy? What happened there? Of course, that's where the uh, artistic license comes in because nobody quite knows. So I invented this whole story around how he was united with the Caesar and John and Sarah have to do it <laughs> to set history right. Yeah, that's so cool. I think kids are going to really... I guess one spoiler, the, the Alex character in Soul Invictus, do you remember him? Mm-hmm. Or the uh, Electus? Yes. Beware the man. At the beginning, they say, beware the man named Alex. And then we are introduced to Electus, who there's a little hint in there about how he looks at his, he looks at his uh, wrist and says, your time's up. So he's obviously not from that time because he, the wrist, draw, wrist, wrist watches weren't a thing then. John picks up on that. And so, and I kind of leave that vague at the ending of book two, like who was this guy? And in book three, um, you'll see General Alex makes a, an appearance. He comes, you'll see who he actually was. Yeah, and there's, there's a little, little spoiler teaser for you. <laughs> yeah, and there's there's hints to that in Eye of Ra as well, but you don't know it yet. Yeah, there's. I'm I'm trying to keep a theme through the books yeah. too of um you know certain elements like the sun, mm-hmm. you know the soul and the and the the Ra the god, and so that that theme of the sun and the power of the sun and um definitely plays a part in book three that takes it a little bit more. The explanation becomes a little bit more concrete and more science fiction than fantasy i'll leave it there yeah yeah i'm i'm a huge new fan of yours i know that kids are gonna love these books and this is like the perfect time to get into it because it's not like well there's only book one and wait a year before you read the next one because so you can you could read the first two and then and then you've got to wait <laughs> but yeah yeah Two is better than I don't know about the timeline for for book three. It's it it might be February of next year. So it would be basically February of uh, 2020 was the first book. February 2021 is the second book, and February 2022 will be the third book. Um, That's probably what's gonna shake out. But at the same time, if I can get it, uh, if we if we if we you know it's a team effort, of course. Yeah. Um, If we can get it out a little early, then 
then maybe we will. We'll see how it all shakes out. Yeah, I can't wait to hear how it all. Me too. Out. I really <laughs> want to know how it all turns out. I have suspicions, but you know, I'll. Uh, oh well, I'll, I'll definitely get to... you a copy when I have. I'm like I said, I already have like a first draft kind of. I don't even call it a first draft. It's more like a V zero. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. I have that. I have that full. That's all. It's all written down. It's about fifty thousand words all done, and so now I'm I'm actually in the middle of going through and reading it through the first time and adding edits and things. Yeah, I'll tell you, I am like really good at keeping book secrets now because you know now I'm in that whole stage <laughs> where I get books and it's going to be you know six months or a year before they're out, but I still want to tell everybody about it, and it's like it's like a whole good and good and bad thing about my job, you know. <laughs> As, you know, I always yeah. want to, yeah, you know, people will ask for a book suggestion and I'm like, Ooh, can't tell you about this one. That one's not out. Okay. Hold on. <laughs> I, same, same for me. I read a lot of, I read a lot of arcs, the advanced yeah. reader copies, advanced yeah. reader edition. And uh, yeah, you have to be careful about what you share about those. You can, you can rah rah them, but you can't, you know, you can't necessarily quote from them because they do have proofreading errors and things like that. So you have to. Well, that and wisely. change. I've read arcs, and then when the book comes out, it's got a whole different ending. <laughs> so really, I haven't heard, seen any. I haven't experienced that anything that dramatic yet. But <laughs> yeah, that was actually really funny. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I mean, it turned out you know, it was one a better ending, so that was great. But that well, was. I hope so. Good. <laughs> I was reading reviews of people who read the finished book, and I was like, "That doesn't sound right." So I went to the library and checked it hmm. out. <laughs> So sometimes that happens too. You know, one thing I'd be, I'd be, I just want to mention for your audience too, is that I, I have free teachers guide, teacher guides for both the Eye of Ra and Soul Invictus and they're 10 and 13 pages. And it's, you know, there's vocabulary bookmarks, comprehension questions. It does map to the core standards. Um, but the, the most fun parts are the activities. Those are a lot of fun to come up with. And it was created in collaboration with, I contracted with a teacher and I also shopped it around to some other teachers. So it really truly is meant to be useful for teachers and homeschoolers and parents. Um, and it's not, you know, not meant to be just fluff or whatever. It's actually meant to be helpful and useful to, to you and to the, to the kids. So I love hearing feedback about those because, you know, I still have the third one. We have still the third one to produce in a while. So um, if there's any ideas or didn't like this, did like this, I, I always love hearing that kind of stuff too. Yeah. I really liked them. And I want to also, you know, give a shout out to, um, you know, parents that just, you know, not just, that's the wrong term, but parents who aren't homeschooling and their kids are in public school. There are tons of parents who read a lot to their kids at night. And that teacher's guide is actually going to be super useful to you as well. There's, you know, there's fun stuff for the kids to do. And, you know, there's discussion prompts because a lot of times you do want to talk to your kids about books, but you're not sure where to start. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's good quality. Like there's, um, thank you. Yeah. I'll pass yeah, that along to really the teacher who made it. I agree. She did a good job. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was interesting to, you know, even calling out some of the themes and things like you say, it gives you, gives you fodder for discussion. You don't have to, you don't have to do the analysis and think about it. You can just look at those and, and get some ideas to encourage that thought. I forget the exact, maybe you remember, but I read recently there's a kids, I forget the, the exact stat, but there was a stat about retention and if you just straight up read to your kids versus if you stop occasionally and ask them questions or also ask them to predict what's going to happen, it was some huge number difference. I, I want to say it was 
70% or 80% better retention and comprehension if you stop occasionally and, and discuss even just for a minute or even just ask them, what do you think is going to happen on the next page? Um, as opposed to just straight reading through. Yeah. I I mean, just straight reading through is awesome too. I'm not disparaging that. That's, that's definitely better than not also, but if you kind of pause every once in a while, it's better. Yeah. It's, it's funny. So when we read a middle grade book with our, uh, with Bookish Society, with the, uh, well, we have like, we have one book for like super fast readers and they read more than one book a month, but the regular group, they read one book a month. And so we meet four times and I break the book up into four chunks. And it's funny because I really thought starting out that the last meeting would be the best because everyone will have read the whole book and we'd be able to have the best discussion. But in fact, I find that the first three meetings are like the most boisterous because the kids mm-hmm. are guessing everything. They've mm-hmm. all got favorites. <laughs> that's cool. That sounds so, like so much fun. You have a fun, fun job. That's awesome that you started this service. I know. I'm like, you know. I'd love to come and visit. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to uh, line you up for that. And I think we, I would love to have you back on to talk uh, neuroscience because I'm, you know, oh, again, when it comes to that stuff, I love talking about this. So. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, my pleasure. It's nice chatting with you. And we will talk again soon. Awesome. Thank you very much, Kim. And thank you to all your listeners, too. I appreciate what you do for our kids. Thanks for listening. Please like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about our roundtable groups, you can point your browser to thebookishsociety.com. And we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time.